1: when we launched the puberty podcast a little more than a year ago, people told us to take the word puberty out of the title. On a weekly basis, we debate about our use of the word puberty because we talk about so much more than straight up sexual maturation. We talk about Homework. We talk about college admissions. Mary Dell Harrington from Grown and Flown is in the audience somewhere here tonight. So all of your college admissions questions, you can turn to Mary Dell for that. Sorry, Mary (laughs) Dell. We talk about friendship. We talk about parenting. We talk about all of the things that affect the lives of kids and their caregivers between the ages of eight and 18. So like, why do we call it the puberty podcast, if as people say, it's about so much more than puberty. So I happen to have a doctor sitting next to me, a very smart pediatrician. Cara, why do we still call it the puberty podcast? Because I would like all those hours (laughs) back where we debated whether we call it the puberty podcast. So like, why do we still call it that?
2: Well, I mean, let's start with the fact that it was us against the world It wasn't just one or two people telling us to take the word out. (laughs) Every single person that we asked said, ew, puberty, right? I mean, I just want to toss the question out to the audience sitting here. When we say puberty, you think, ooh, (laughs) right? (laughs) What else? Vanessa. (laughs) (laughs) Vanessa. We've got a listener in the audience, right? I mean, you think cringy, you think smells, you think all those feelings you had when you were changing. So we would pitch this idea and people would think, why are you pitching an idea about something that makes me go back to a moment in my life that feels acutely uncomfortable? And I think that's really, that's why we wanted to keep the title. But we also want to keep the title because over the last generation, the meaning of the word puberty has really changed. And I think it bears kind of walking through for just a minute what the history of the word puberty is to understand why talking to an audience of the adults who are caring for kids between 8 and 18, a whole decade's worth of kids, means talking to adults who are caring for kids in puberty. And that is not what it was when we were growing up. Puberty when we were growing up started around uh, age 11, 11 and, a half, and it stretched about four years, maybe five years for the for the longest. Now it's a decade. So, do you want Vanessa a super quick walk through the the history of puberty, the word puberty, and yeah, I mean, because you
1: casually are just like, and now it's a decade, <laughs> yeah. and you're just like, and moving on. But like a decade of puberty decade, yeah. is really intense and hard, and it's hard for the kids, and it's hard for the adults, and. It's exhausting yeah. for everybody. for every, Including the people going through it. Especially the people going, well, maybe especially for us,
2: but also the people <laughs> going through it.
1: Um, so like, it's important for us to understand
2: how this happens so, so dramatic. So here's the history. And I'm going to try to do it as fast as I can.
1: If any of you know how we do speed rounds. It's not going to go it's not fast. It's
2: okay, very but slow. But I really am going to go quickly. In the late 1940s, in post-war Europe, there was a guy named James Tanner, a physician who decided he wanted to do a study to document what puberty looked like when it started and how it progressed normally. And, and in medicine, there are a lot of people who want to just study the normal stuff, not the pathology, but actually what happens to most people. Um, we don't usually use the word normal, but I'm going to try to use a little of the language that people used in the generations past. So he, he was going to study normal puberty. So he goes to a post War Orphanage in Harpenden, which is a town outside of London, and he does a study that could literally never be done today, and that study was taking pictures of naked children every three months for the next almost 30 years. And the thing is, he wasn't a voyeur, he was a physician, and he was trying to document how bodies changed over time. He never examined the kids though, so every piece of data he got was from pictures. And what he did was he documented when breasts grew and when penises and testicles grew and when hair grew. And he codified it in the late 40s and 50s and 60s. He came up with this whole world of pictures and then ages, and he could come up with baseline ages for when kids entered and when they were done out the other end. It's a study that couldn't be done for a lot of reasons. The pictures, okay, there's that. But also there was the the fact that he had a captive audience and so he could really follow these kids over time. It's a very hard thing to do and it's very expensive to do. So most people don't do, it's called a longitudinal study and most people don't do them anymore. But what he found was that girls entered puberty around age 11 and boys around 11 and a half. And what that meant to him was girls had breast growth and boys had penile or testicular growth. He also documented hair, but hair, we talk about this a lot on the Puberty Podcast. Hair is actually a whole separate process. It's not part of sexual maturation. And so we're just going to focus on breasts and penises and testicles. So he documents this, right? And he comes up with five stages. Stage one is nothing happening. You're prepubescent. You are not in puberty. And stage five is you're totally adult, fully grown, done with puberty. So the path through puberty was two, three, and four. And it was so simple that it stuck. And so the Tanner stages are the stages that are used in every medical school textbook, in every nursing textbook, in every clinical measure of what's happening to kids. It's Tanner staging. And in fact, I I write these books, The Care and Keeping of You, and they there's Tanner staging in those books. The most famous pages are pages 45 and 44. And it's like this double page spread of these, you know, the girls standing in the mirror and they're looking and they're trying to see where their breast growth is. That's Tanner staging. So he comes up with this whole system and everyone goes, okay, that's how it is. And then in the mid 1990s, there's this woman in North Carolina. She's a nurse practitioner. Her name is Marcia Herman Giddens. And she starts noticing that these 10-year-olds who are walking into her clinic for a regular checkup, they've got breast buds, they're in puberty. And she thinks, well, this is odd. I wonder if it's my community or if it's a bigger issue. So she writes to the AAP, American Academy of Pediatrics, says, can I do a study? They give her enough funding to study 17,000 girls, lots of study centers across the country. And in 1997, she publishes her results. And the results are girls are in puberty early and they were entering puberty just when she saw, around age 10. And there were huge headlines, and this was a really big deal, and this was a long time ago. This was in 1997. No one looked at boys. Then about seven or eight years later, a group of endocrinologists, those are hormone doctors, they got together and they said, we want to see if her results are correct. So they studied, again, another very large group of kids. And I should mention Herman Giddens actually examined the kids and the follow-up study actually examined the kids. No pictures, but so they were doing it a little bit differently. But the follow-up study started in 2005. They stopped the study in 2010 because the results were so dramatic. And those results, girls only, showed that breast development was beginning on average between 8 and 9. So between when Tanner was studying it in the 40s, 50s, and 60s And 2005 to 2010, puberty, the start of puberty, had marched back by several years. Now, this was only in girls. And one really important note is that they also looked at periods when kids were getting the period for the first time. And it turned out girls were not getting their periods really any earlier, maybe by a month or two. But their puberty was starting years earlier. So that's why I always say puberty has stretched like taffy because it became twice as long in the run-up to getting a first period. Or for any of us who have raised kids through puberty, twice as hellacious, right? (laughs) Because because you've got an eight-year-old who's got the moods of what you think an 11-year-old should have. And it was documented This is 2010. This was 12 years ago that we knew this. But still, it did not make major headlines, and no one looked at the boys. So in 2012, Marsha Herman Giddens, who had retired, she was gardening. She was having a great time. She got so fed up. She came out of retirement. She studied 4,000 boys. And what do you think she found? they were going into puberty sooner too. And their entry to puberty is between nine and 10. So when we talk about the start of puberty moving all the way back to eight, that is what we mean. The other piece that I think is really important to acknowledge is when I was in medical school, we always talked about puberty as being sexual maturation and adolescence as being emotional maturation. And the thing is that that requires us to separate the two out. And anyone who's met anyone with any hormones, okay, <laughs> understands- I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> right. Understands that there's no separating those. That all of the feelings and decisions, good decisions, bad decisions, all of the friendship shifts and all of that, that's as hormonally driven as anything else that's happening in and on their body. And so the world has started calling puberty- what it used to call puberty and adolescence. And we are all in favor of that. And that is why it's the Puberty Podcast. Also, we really like alliteration.
1: <laughs> Any, anything that starts with the letter P, we're all over it. I mean, we wouldn't call it the puberty. And That's why Vanessa has a podcast. viral
2: TikTok right <laughs> now that starts with penis, penis, penis. And uh, hundreds of thousands of people have watched it. Vanessa yes. said just, you know. Um, my children
1: word. are like, I hope none of our friends see that TikTok. If you listen to enough of our episodes, you'll hear us preach the importance of air, particularly down there. Airing out body parts reduces sweatiness, stinkiness, and skin irritation. And it feels amazing to air it all out after a long day in tight, sweaty clothes.
2: Which is why we created the um short. Super soft, lightweight, with wide legs and a low crotch. All help air flow. Designed for all genders, in all sizes, literally down to kids extra small and up to men's extra large. Everyone who wears them tells us they've never been so comfy. Get your shorts at myumla.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number 1 in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com/awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Vanessa, we literally have 3 minutes to eat lunch every day. I am not joking. And the challenge is how to make it delicious and healthy and still fit into that tiny window. Our answer is Factors Ready to Eat meals. They have been a godsend.
1: We throw our Factor meals in the microwave. It takes two minutes and out comes a gorgeous, fresh, never frozen meal. We both love the tamale vegetarian one. It's delish. There's a ton of options every week. There's 60 add-ons, breakfast, snacks, Beverages. I love doing the wellness shots with my kids. They think it's hilarious. And I know they're getting vitamins and minerals in their bodies.
2: So get meals on your table or at your desk in two minutes or less. Factor meals eliminate the hassle of prepping, cooking, and cleaning. You can customize with flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. And you can press, pause, or reschedule depending upon your lifestyle. So to
1: order... Go to factormeals.com slash puberty50 and use the code puberty50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That code is puberty50 at factormeals.com slash puberty50 to get 50% off your first box, 20% off your next box. And I am going to go do that right now because I need more factor meals in my refrigerator.
2: It can also help digestion, though too much helps your digestion too much, which is not a good thing. It can support muscle recovery. So bye-bye, Charlie horses. And it helps build dense bones, which is especially important for women approaching and in menopause.
1: We have an exclusive offer for our listeners. You can go to com slash puberty, dot com slash puberty. And you can use the code PUBERTY10 during checkout to save 10%. That promo code is PUBERTY10 at biooptimizerscom slash puberty. Your body and brain and family and business partner will thank you. So with the conflation of puberty and adolescence, it means we're dealing with a massive range of issues. And so often we hear from people who are like, why is my 10 year old acting like a teenager? Because your 10 year old has the hormones of what you imagine a teenager to have. Sometimes, sometimes they've just like watched too much Disney channel and are mimicking whatever <laughs> they see on the TV. But I think for us, it's so much about un threading the threads, unweaving the threads when possible, right? Because we want it to be accurate science, but also weaving them together when it becomes relevant. I mean, one of the things we talk about a lot is that hormones don't just circulate below the neck. They circulate in the brain. And we had Molly Colvin on, a neuropsychologist, who talked about what that means when a brain is under construction and hormones are circulating through the brain, it's like driving a high-speed car with a flat tire through um, a very potholy road, right? It's, it's a mess, it's exciting, um, it's uncomfortable, but it's also a mess. And so I've been thinking a lot about, okay, what are the like fundamental skills, right? We talk all the time about, if we're caring for kids through puberty and adolescence, and those have now become a decade that are completely intertwined, what are like our principles? What are our tenants to get us through? So, you know, Elisa Pressman's like, I'm not being chased by a bear. I'm not being chased by a bear. Right. So that's about calming down, bringing yourself down. But like, what are our other tenants when we think about how the hell do we do this?
2: Right. So one of the the guiding lights that I've used, I don't know how well it has worked, You can <laughs> you can ask my children, but just like hormones don't just circulate below the neck, they also don't gently climb slowly and equilibrate in the body. What they do is they rise really quickly, drop really quickly, rise really quickly, drop really quickly, which we all know, right? I mean, we've all felt it. We all know what that feels like. I just thought it was rage (laughs) surging. Exactly. (laughs) Your surging rage has another name and it's called estrogen. (laughs) Um, So the, but, but that's what's happening, right? And your brain knows how to manage that surge, but a 12 year old brain or a 10 year old brain or an eight year old brain does not know how to manage that surge at all. So, When you see crops of acne coming out and then disappearing and you're like, whew, that's done, just to come right back. That is the physical reminder of what is happening inside the bloodstream. And I think if we remember that it's very much a roller coaster. It is not a level ride. It is not even a a ride where you go one surge and you survive the surge and then it's smooth sailing for a while. It's an endless search. That's by design. That's how it works. When you think about male puberty, which is so under-talked about, it makes me so sad that puberty was gendered for so long. There is no gendering to puberty. The parts are different. The process, it does not matter what your gender is. It's a transitional stage for everyone. And so Guys never got... I used to teach the girl class until I refused to teach the girl class anymore because it was so ridiculous. But the boys who were in the separate room got nothing. They got, you know, let's let's say a couple of words and then go out and play at recess like there was no information. There's a ton of information starting with, this is so incredible, that the first couple of years of their puberty is literally just their testicles and penises growing because the testicles are making the testosterone. So they're getting their machinery on board. They're literally building the factory that will then become the machine that fuels the whole process. And that is totally overlooked. And all the downstream consequences are totally overlooked until you go, oh, now I understand everything that's happening with my 11-year-old who is doing this, whatever this looks like in your you house. You know what's so good is that we have a
1: podcast about puberty so we can change that no one talks about boy uh, puberty. We it's talk about it non-convenient. So
2: and you know what's so funny is all these people came to us a year ago and they said, you cannot put the word in the title. And it's a little bananas because there's, this, there's something happening right now, right? And there are the, a lot of listeners and it's really fun and people want to listen. They want to understand what's happening in puberty, which makes me so happy. It really makes me happy. I think one of the big questions we get is why does any of this matter? So what? So they're going into puberty younger. So what? And I think the answer is because if you ever ask them how they feel about not having any autonomy, not having any sense of control over any of it, and then they begin to understand they feel better. They do feel better. So
1: what's our one, if we want people to walk out of here tonight with like one tool in their toolbox, right? They're going to go home to probably a disaster or they're going to wait till their kids are in bed (laughs) so they don't have to deal with them. And then it's a disaster in the morning. (laughs) What are they putting in their pocket to leave? Because we have Aliza's I'm not being chased by a bear.
2: Great. I love that. That's like, bring it down. What would your like mine would be a seatbelt, just buckle up and put on a seatbelt because it is like riding a roller coaster and you would never get on a, I would never get on anything without a seatbelt because I'm so risk averse. But would you even uh, get on
1: would you even get on a roller coaster?
2: Yes, but one with the the thing where you're locked in for life that <laughs> you i You get, get on a, like the kitty roller coaster. They make fun of me and make endless so put fun on of me because I take belt. no risks. Yeah. So mine okay. is seatbelt because I think we have to we do have to ride it with our kids. But I put a big asterisk, which is maybe put on their seatbelt because it's not our ride, right? I mean, it's their puberty. It's not our... We've been there, done that. And when we tell them stories about ours, that might make us feel like we're part of the process, but it bears no resemblance to theirs. Yeah, but we're also
1: riding it with them. And we we have to take care of ourselves because
2: things get a little... Yeah. Wild. So you should put on a helmet, <laughs> the knee pads, padding. <laughs> what what's yours?
1: I don't have like a literal one. I think I just like to remind myself they can't really help it. I just like to, when they're being unkind or silent or manic or whatever it is, like, okay, they can't really help it and I'm just going to, I'm going to ride it out. I'm going to sit here.
2: And I think in your house, because you have a big age span between your youngest and your oldest, and you're still in it, right? Very much with all of them. I think that philosophy bears out because frankly, just when you think it's over, it's back, right? I mean, it's like so exhausting.
1: I'm so tired. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, oh, it's you again. Okay. Here we go. (laughs) You're Back again. Oh, you still live here. Okay. Here we go. Um, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, we talk a lot about empathy, but I sort of feel like I have to actively remind myself to have empathy and I have to remind them to have empathy for each other because they also
2: piss each other off. For sure. And I think, One other sort of nugget, and it ties together this whole concept of how puberty and adolescence have crashed into each other, is that they really are growing up sooner in many ways than certainly than anyone who's sitting in this audience grew up. Part of it is their bodies are changing sooner, slower, but sooner. And part of it is the world has changed tremendously. And so the pressures that they face and the things that they see. The things they see on phones, on TV, the the language that they hear, the world is much more uncensored than it was before. So it is a different world to grow up in. It is a far more stressful world. There is a lot of science that is linking stress to earlier puberty. Let me help you understand that stress for one second. Remember I said that hair was on its own path through puberty. It is controlled by hormones called the adrenal androgens. The testosterone and estrogen and progesterone, they factor in a little, but it's really these adrenal androgens. The adrenal glands sit on top of your kidneys. The adrenal glands also release cortisol, your stress hormone. There are two theories as to why stress and earlier puberty are connected. One is that it's theoretically possible. The body's really good at compartmentalizing, but if it's the same organ that releases different hormones, maybe, just maybe, when the adrenal androgens are getting primed and they're getting ready to be sent out, it's easier to send big bolts of cortisol out as well. And the cortisol ends up getting sent out and one turns on the other and their neighbors and, you know, they do what neighbors do. The more likely theory... Share sugar. Share sugar. (laughs) They share sugar, literally. The more likely explanation is that the master glands in the brain that actually turn on puberty, those master glands are, it looks like they are turned on by stress hormones, by cortisol. So there probably is a variable that has to do with the world they're living in and the world they're living in requires us to have tremendous empathy for them. And it doesn't mean that they don't piss us off because they do and they really mess up from time to time, but it is a very hard world to grow up in at the moment. I mean, they're dodging porn on their cell phones. They're dodging, you know, every sort of thing you worry about Think of a worry. Yes, they're dodging that. What it's—it's it's a hard world. It's very—it's very stressful, and that is probably accelerating their bodies growing up, and that's hard. That's hard. Thanks so much for listening. You can follow us anywhere you get your podcasts, or check out our Instagram at the Puberty Podcast. If you have questions or stories to share, email us at thepubertypodcast at gmail.com. And for more puberty info, check out myumla.com or dynamogirl.com. Bye.